Today we're dealing with leadership, and I don't know about you, but there are times in my life, especially growing up, when I, I would think about leadership, and I would think about the, the person on the bow of the ship who uh, would be leaning forward into the mist, and the spray would be on their face, and they'd be the one leading forward into the battle or into the issue. It probably was shaped a lot because of this famous painting of George Washington. One of my favorite periods of colonial is colonial history. And um, this, of course, is his crossing of the Delaware River and going to attack uh, at Trenton, New Jersey, the, the Hessian army there. And uh, what's, I know you can't see it, but maybe it just will prompt some uh, reminders in your mind's eye. But you probably remember there's ice in the water and everybody's busy about their tasks. Most everyone is sitting down with the exception of one person and George Washington himself. And he's standing there in the boat. And of course, he's, he's in a, a victorious, sort of confident pose. He's got his leg up and he's leaning forward and his square jaw and he's laser focused on the future to come, right? And so uh, thinking about that as the only form of leadership or uh, the ways that, that leaders uh, do things out of personalities and temperaments, I've, I've learned as I've gotten older that there are a lot of different ways that, uh, and different temperaments that God leads and uh, opportunities that God provides for us to lead uh, in different ways. Leadership, of course, is important, and it's important to everyone. It's not just important to the president of a country or the CEO of a business or someone who uh, leads an organization. Leadership is important for all of us because we all have leadership characteristics in our lives. All of us do. And it starts with leading ourselves, learning how to live lives of self-discipline and self-leadership. We, we have to manage ourselves. Some of us have marriage leadership needs and uh, opportunities within a marriage relationship to offer leadership. Parents who have young children at home certainly have leadership responsibilities in their home. And followers always have uh, responsibilities to the leaders who lead them. If you have uh, employers or you have supervisors over you in, in your workplace, then um, there's an important aspect of learning how to follow uh, as well within leadership. So this morning, whatever the scope of your particular leadership is, I know that you want to lead well and you want to do it better. And this morning, I want us to look at four important factors of leadership that really have broad application for all of us today, regardless of uh, the scope or the depth or uh, what you think is the, the breadth of your, your leadership. Um, perhaps some of these are a little bit more subtle uh, that guide to and inform leadership than just the, the final fruit of standing on the bow of the boat, <laughs> leaning into the future. Uh, I really want to break these four items down into two different categories, okay? So the first two are factors that form leadership, factors about leadership formation. So what are, what are a couple of areas where God wants to have our minds and our hearts and our personhood shaped so that our leading edge and the fruit of our leadership is more biblical and more Christ-centered and God-honoring? So that's two of the four. The other two factors about leadership really deal with leadership function. So two deal with the leadership formation and two deal with the functioning of leadership and how does it actually live out and work out in the realities of life. Proverbs 
Chapters 25 through 29 really deal a lot with uh, the issue of leadership in so many different ways. Um, it's really often dealing with, um, in ancient Israel, the, um, the need of a king to uh, govern uh, rightly and uh, other ways, but there's certainly many uh, applications for our living today. So if you want to go with me, we're going to look at, at these four characteristics about leadership. And I, I confess there's so many things that I could focus on, uh, especially out of the Proverbs about leadership. Um, but these are just the four that my heart seemed drawn to this particular week. And so um, if you have others that uh, would be interesting, uh, shoot me a note because I'd, be, I'd love to, to hear and read about them. But if we had three hours, we could maybe look at all of the facets of leadership. But uh, I know you're going to get hungry, as am I, in a little bit. Number one, are you ready? Number one, a factor about the formation of the leader is very simply what I call becoming rightly dependent. Becoming rightly dependent. Becoming dependent on the right things. You know, we uh, in this culture, in, in American society, have prided ourselves on the, the, the quest for independence. Uh, we've thought about George Washington, and our whole nation was birthed out of this desire for independence. And there are many great things that come out of that. But there has come a time, I think, in our culture for many years, many centuries probably, many decades at least, where uh, the desire for independence kind of trumps everything else. And it creates within many a false sense of our lack of need for anything else outside of myself to be successful. And so we don't think about the need that we have for other people to support and encourage and guide. We often don't, or actually we know that very well here, that so few people these days look to God as a source of one who has wisdom and is able to lead us in our moving forward. So uh, factor number one is becoming rightly dependent rather than independent, becoming more dependent upon the presence and the guidance of God in your life. That is part of what wisdom is all about. We've characterized wisdom as the ability to make godly decisions. And how can we make godly decisions apart from an active and regular consultation and interaction with the living God Himself? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. You may want to note that down. For future reference, the Bible says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. I'll read it again. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. They do whatever they think is right, but blessed is the one who keeps the law. We know that the Bible is our source for great teaching about the leading edge. We have great principles in the Scripture that guide our leadership in whatever capacity we have. Principles like humility. And how does a humble leader work and benefit and bless the people whom he or she leads? About patience when you enter into a darkened season or things haven't turned out the way that you expected. The idea of having an enduring quality with God to withstand those seasons so that you might work with God to see a different reality at work ahead. Certainly having clarity of vision, not just vision for what you hope and dream, but actually having a superseding vision of what God desires to do through your life. Not only are there principles of leadership, and we could list many others, but they're also wonderful examples of leadership. 
And good examples of leadership failures in the Scripture. But we're just going to look at the good ones or think about them this morning. The people like Moses. Moses was sort of all over the map with his leadership. But at the end, he allowed God mostly to work through him. And uh, God did amazing things through Moses. On my bookshelf, I actually have a book. The title is Moses on Management. And it's something like 34 managerial tips out of the life of Moses. And so uh, Moses is a great example of leadership. David the second king of Israel gives us such great information and insight into the godly leader, the one who's characterized and described as one who pursues God's own heart, one who certainly was not beyond the reality of temptation and succumbing to temptation, but one who also knows the power and demonstrates the reality of forgiveness and the cleansing of a life and a heart that God can bring. Of course, there's this guy in the New Testament, we call him Jesus. What greater leader could we ever want or desire to know how to interact with people, to inspire them towards something, a unified goal, and to equip? Jesus has so much to teach us about leadership. God Himself desires to shape you and your leadership. You know, if you work in the business world, God wants to shape the way you work in that business God wants to shape the way you interact with your customers, your employees, your co-workers, whomever it might be. God wants to touch and shape and form the way that you interact in those places. His Spirit works in you to shape the way you think about problems. He invites you to come and at critical junctures and every juncture and to submit those to Him so that your actions and the decisions produced through those prayers will be what He desires. God provides people to support you along the way. So that's number one, becoming rightly dependent in the leadership formation. The second, a second aspect about the formation of a leader is what I'm calling today the ability to savor the smell of failure. All right? I love the story John Maxwell once uh, shared about uh, a boy who um, was a prankster. He uh, went out and uh, his grand, he was at his grandfather's house and he uh, found some really stinky cheese in the house and he thought while his grandfather had a nap, children, do not do this to anybody you know, but I'm just sharing the story. It's not an example to follow. But he took that stinky cheese and he wiped it while his grandfather slept on his upper lip. So when his grandfather wakes up, guess what he does? This this bedroom stinks. So he gets up to get away from the smell and he walks into the kitchen. This kitchen stinks. So he walks into the living room. This living room stinks. So he thinks, I'm going to get out of this house. So he walks out the back door and stands on the porch and he takes a big deep breath. And he looks around and he says, oh, the whole world stinks. Was the world smelling? No. What was smelling, Jake? His lip. You see, the smell was in him, right? It was his own ability or lack of ability to perceive what was happening around him. I, uh, when I went off to college, I um, 
I remember being struck by a smell one day. I was there about six weeks, and all of a sudden the wind was blowing just right. It was hot, late in August. And, I mean, it smelled like somebody had taken roadkill and rubbed it all over my clothes. No matter where you went, you couldn't get away from the smell. I'd been there six weeks. I'd not smelled it before, but the wind was blowing in just a way. And I began to ask locals, I said, what, what is that smell? And they uh, informed me that on the outskirts of town, there were mushroom farms. And uh, if you've ever worked with produce, or especially mushrooms, you know mushrooms need a lot of darkness and a lot of stinky fertilizer, right? And so when the wind was, didn't happen all the time, but boy, you regretted when it did happen. The wind was blowed just right, the smell would come wafting in, and you knew that those mushrooms had all the ingredients they needed for their growth and their health. And it stunk. Stank. How do you say it? It stank. It did not smell good at all. Part of what I think God invites us to appreciate is not to go out seeking failure, of course not, but to be able to interact with our failings in a way that God will use them as ingredients for our growth. Do you get what I'm saying? It's to be able to learn to savor the smell of failure. You know, and it won't happen all the time, but when the air of failure comes and you're beginning to smell, something you had your heart set on is not going to turn out. Something you've actively put your hands on is crumbling out from under your, your life. And maybe it's a direct result of some things that you've done or not done. The, the temptation sometimes for some of us is to either turn away and ignore it, and just kind of move on without ever learning or gleaning anything from it. Or we, uh, we just simply uh, can turn into repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. But what I mean by savoring the aroma of failure is learning when failure comes to our life is learning how not to repeat it, not to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. One of the verses that I remember my mom sharing with me I must have needed it a lot. It comes out of uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. And this is it. You ready? It's kind of gross. That got your attention? Like a dog returning to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. <laughs> I don't know why my mom had to say that to me so often. <laughs> I had a dog when I was little, and I watched that little dog come back occasionally to his own throw-up. And I, I just, I stood grossed out like you are probably right now. But you know, people who perpetually make the same mistakes over and over are, are the ones that, that God wants to hear this morning. That there are times when you have to make adjustments in your life so that the repetition of the same things don't continue to happen over and over and over again. That God desires for you to take the failure, not to ignore it, uh, not to be overwhelmed and crushed by it either. That, that won't help either. But to be able to take failure and to let them be the ingredients that God needs to work in your life at times for you to grow in the way that He wants you to grow. Does that make sense? I want you to think about Peter with me. Remember Peter? Poor old Peter. Peter was the guy who was always at the front of the line with Jesus, right? Always the first one to do stuff. Just a gregarious person, I think. Um, imagine... When uh, Jesus was arrested and hauled away from the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was taken off, Peter was the one who went sort of at a distance and followed along. Peter was the one who was out there in the courtyard when all of the, the fake trial was going on and the issues happening. 
Peter's the one who denied knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three different times. And the Bible says that Peter, at that moment, on the third time, the rooster crows and Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter goes away and he wept and wept bitterly. And then you see Peter sometime later in John chapter 21. His breakfast is being cooked by Jesus. Peter and the boys are out fishing. And they recognize Jesus and they come rushing to shore. And it's in that moment that Jesus restores Peter. Three different times He asks Peter if He loves him. And they have this sweet, intimate encounter that was kind of a breaking point for Peter. But then we fast forward again in the first chapters of Acts when Jesus has gone back in, into heaven, ascended back to be with the Father. Who is it who's leading the, the proclamation of the gospel around the temple area? It's Peter. It's Peter. Now, he could have gone the way of Judas. Judas also failed. But he let that failure overwhelm and crush him. Peter didn't. Peter faced it. He received it. He owned up to it. He didn't try to blame others. He didn't say, well, gosh, I was the only one who came and followed Jesus all the way to the temple court. Aren't I good? He accepted his part in his own personal responsibility. And then he sought the growth in it that only Jesus could provide for him. So those are two factors in the formation, some of the formational qualities of a leader. Now I want to shift a little bit and look at some of the functions, two aspects of functioning leadership. Are you still with me here? Yeah? All right. Words, words can be golden. We often hear the phrase, silence is golden. Do you like that phrase? Silence is golden. I do. (laughs) I like me some silence. I like a little bit of solitude. I need it once in a while. But I want you to hear this morning what God says in His words, that words can be golden. What we mean by that is speaking the right word at the right time and in the right way. The Apostle Paul would say it similarly. He would say that we need to grow in our ability to speak the truth in love, that we are those who speak truth in love. It's the ability to lift people up to higher ground. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 and 12, Proverbs 25, 11 and 12, it says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold, is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Wow. Speaking the right word at the right time in the right way. Have you ever had a pair of shoes that didn't fit quite right? Maybe they're too loose. Have you ever walked in too loose shoes for too long? What happens when you walk in shoes that are too loose for too long? You get blisters. Blisters on your heel, on the ball of your foot, big toe, wherever it might be. I remember a few years ago finding a brand of shoes that I love so much because it's just like every time I put them on, it's like putting, giving my foot a hug. They hold my foot. My foot is so perfectly suited and I love them and I wear them almost all the time. I've never been in the military, but I grew up watching army movies, so I don't know what that means. But uh, I've also seen some recent sort of endurance uh, uh, races out, things like the Spartan race or Tough Mudder races and those sort of things. And one of them, at least, there's in the obstacle courses, often you get to a point where it's, it's the wall, right? And uh, you have to you stand at the bottom of this wall. I've never done one. I dream of it one day, but um, maybe. But you stand at the bottom of this wall and it seems insurmountable. 
And there are times when groups will work together. They'll make human ladders. They'll stand out and they'll make a base kind of like this. And one person will squat down and their leg, their thighs become part of a step and then their shoulders become another step. And all the while they're sacrificing themselves so that another might be lifted up in order to scale the height of the wall that they couldn't do on their own. And that's a lot of what our words are intended to be. Adam, just a few weeks ago, described Jesus out of Proverbs and Jesus' use of the, uh, the teaching about words and how important words are. But just like a well-fit shoe, we're helping get others up over the wall. These words, these words of accountability, the words of rebuke to a listening ear are part of what makes a church community function the way it's intended to function. It takes people who, who have a relationship of closeness together who seek those sorts of relationships out from other people. It takes some vulnerability. It takes some trust in other people. It takes your desiring and trusting that other people will love you enough to speak the words of truth to your life, to encourage you in your living with the Lord. It's holding others accountable and also being willing to receive accountability from others. You see, this, words are not golden if they're not received with a listening ear. And it's understanding the types of relationships that allow that. And, but it's my hope for this church as we move forward together is to continue to develop those types of relationships in this church where there is closeness, there is intimacy with one another, and there are uh, frameworks for us to be able to share and to receive the work of God so that we can encourage each other in our journeys because we need each other. We need each other. Some of us at times need help to get up over the wall. Some of us at times are going to be those helpers to push others up over the wall. But it's holding others accountable and receiving that accountability. Words can be golden. Finally this morning is what I call the art of issue involvement. The art of issue involvement. What in the world does that mean? It's learning what issues, what problems are and are not yours to embrace. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. Proverbs 26, 17. The Bible says, Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Think about that for a little bit. Like one who grabs a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel, not his own. Okay? Um, I, as I mentioned, I had a dog. Corky was his name. A little long-haired dachshund. Um, he had big floppy ears. And you've probably ascertained by now, I was a little ornery as a kid. And uh, one of the things I love to do, just to needle my dog a little bit, Please don't report me. It was long ago. Um, but I'd love to take his floppy ears and I would lift them up and then I'd blow in them. <laughs> Do you think Corky liked that? No. Do you know why I did it? Because Corky didn't like it. <laughs> that terrible? See, we can all grow from where we start, right? We can all grow. Well, here's what Corky's response was. He would snap at me. You know, and he, he was careful not to get too close, but, you know, I'd always try to get as close as I could to feel his breath on me as he would snap back at me. But I learned pretty quickly, 
Hmm. Dogs don't like to have their ears messed with. All right, what's the verse say? Like one who seizes a dog by the ears. What happens when that happens usually? It's not a very happy response, right? So someone who's not in the right relationship with somebody else and tries to enter into being a a peacemaker, it's not the right relationship, it's not the right time, it's not the right way of trying to seek peace. I was with my friend Sam on Wednesday, and he told me that uh, in, in his home country of Kenya... Often when two men are quarreling, it's customary to exit, <laughs> exit the room to let those two work it out. Yeah, I, there's some times when that's really good advice. There are other times, however, and opportunities God places before us when He calls us at the same time to be peacemakers. It's learning to know the difference. Stephen Sample, uh, who was uh, for 19 years the president of the University of Southern California, he wrote a really interesting book on leadership called The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership. And one of the things he talks about in there, in this book, is when somebody brings a problem to his desk, you know what the very first question he asks, at least asks of himself? This is it. Is this my problem? <laughs> what a great leadership principle. Is this problem my problem? Right? Boy, there's so many times in ministry we get everything kind of confused and have our desire to meet every need all the time in every way. Sometimes we don't realize there are many others in the body of Christ who can be and need to be and should be engaged in their particular areas of giftedness. And that, that's part of the work of the church and structuring a church in a way that allows God's work to move more fluidly through it. But I love that question, is this my problem? So there's two people in a quarrel. Two people in an argument or in a tiff. Is this your problem to enter into? Sometimes the answer is yes. How do you know? Well, I think there's some things you can look at. When the other two just are not at a place and being able to arrive at a peaceful resolution, that could be a sign that God wants you to somehow offer to be a peacemaker. Perhaps when anger, you're noticing anger in a relationship beginning to take root. Resentment is beginning to grow. Those can be signs that perhaps you are the one God wants to enter into helping bring about um, some reconciliation. You might notice that over a long period of time there are open wounds that have not healed because they've either gone undealt with or somebody's lacked the willingness to forgive. Those can be signs when it's your opportunity to enter into that relationship. When a quarrel begins to overflow and begins to affect other people, that can be a sign that God may want you to help intervene in some way. But <laughs> you need to prayerfully do it, and you have to have the right relationship with a person to do that. That's part of church life together, is living in relationships like that. How do you allow God to mold your leadership? How do you allow Him to mold your leadership in your workplace? The way you interact with your coworkers. Your supervisors, the people whom you supervise, how do you invite God into shaping the way that you deal with those people? Your customers, how do you allow God to mold your leadership in your home as in a marriage relationship, with a roommate, with uh, children, whatever it might be, uh, in the weeks and months to come? 
We are working together as a church to uh, provide some renewed opportunities to shape and encourage and help our lay leadership in the church more and more in the days to come. And so you can be uh, standing by for some of that uh, down the road. But those are some ways that God, I hope, will help shape all of our leadership to fulfill more fully the work that He desires to do through you individually, but certainly through us corporately. Let's pray. Living God, we uh, thank You for Your goodness. We thank You that You are the one that we look to whom is the ultimate leader of all things. You are the one who provides not just uh, uh, principles uh, or examples, but You also uh, inspire us in, with Your presence. Your Spirit speaks to us and counsels us. May we be quick to follow and to see where You are leading so that we can go where You go and to be who You desire us to be the person of Jesus being shaped in each of us more and more, whatever our leadership capacity might be. We ask Your blessing over the hearing of this and Your Spirit's guidance in the doing of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.